Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Again, to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. Oh, wait, scratch that. Let me let me take that again. And I'm joined by our senior analyst, fifth place finisher in the DraftKings NFL Draft Media Predictions Pool, John Brennan. Uh, John, if if not for this pandemic limiting in-person interactions, how many autographs do you think you would have signed in the past week? Well, it's fifth place out of 30 national media members, actually. Uh, but who's counting, really? <laughs> you know. uh, congratulations, by the way, to Vic Taffer from The Athletic for hitting 10 of the 13 questions. I settled for a very respectable eight. Mm-hmm. I think my worst pick was Saints for who would pick quarterback Jordan Love. And one rival out of 30, by the way, had him correctly going to the Packers, which was kind of cool. Um, I've been in contests like this before. I have to realize that there is liable to be one Poor soul, perhaps out of 30, who goes like 3 and 10, right. and someone did, and then has to pray that his name is not aired on podcasts such as this. <laughs> uh, you know, but Eric, uh, the quality of mercy is not strained. It, it droppeth as a gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. <laughs> so you're not going to name the person who went 3 and 10, uh, I guess. Uh, no, he, he, he's, not, okay. he's not a merchant, and he's not from Venice, but I'm, I'm not going to go there. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm proud of uh, how you finished, John. You displayed, uh, if not excellence, undeniable competence. Uh, And, uh, you know, Um, what I was going for. Yes. Right. It it reminds me of uh, of George Costanza describing the young man he's recommending for the Susan Ross Memorial Scholarship. Not showing off, not falling behind, right in that meaty part of the curve. That's that's (laughs) how you did here. That's what I was looking for. I like at the top of the meaty part of the curve. That's really what I was going for. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Although I still say uh, me winning a nickel in the free FanDuel Survivor Contest two weeks in a row is uh, the slightly better accomplishment in my in my view. Ten cents better if I have to put a number on it. Well, uh, consistent level of success there is impressive. Yes, <laughs> yes if we're, we're using the term success very loosely, but technically, yes, uh, and any profit is success. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 89 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 88 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Or if you'd prefer, hire Bill Belichick's dog to subscribe, rate, and review for you. 
Oh, nice NFL draft poll there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by sports and gaming law expert Daniel Wallach. Uh, he's the co-host of Conduct Detrimental, the sports law podcast. Um, Dan is going to share his thoughts on which major team sport will return first, he thinks, um, and when, and the legal ramifications of Illinois' recent daily fantasy sports ruling, and how close we are to regulated uh, political election betting. Is that really in the cards? Uh, but first, it's only been a semi-busy news week in the world of gambling, so let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. When one of us goes to a conference, we usually report back on it on the podcast. Uh, Well, this week, both of us went to a conference. Sort of. The SBC Digital Summit has been taking place all week online, with panelists speaking on a variety of gaming topics from the comfort of their various home offices. And we at US Bets have been busy covering the most interesting sessions. I wrote about a panel called Poker to the Rescue, question uh, mark, where poker industry insiders analyze the value of online poker during the COVID-19 shutdown. John has written about a panel on compulsive gambling and the efforts to control it during the pandemic and has more coverage coming. Uh, plus, we've had Chris Altruda writing about esports, Gary Rotstein on both iCasino gaming and some of the offbeat sports that people are betting on these days, and more. Uh, John, before I dig into my experience, tell me a little about your thoughts on the digital approach to holding gaming conferences and any highlights from the session that you quote-unquote attended. Yeah, I mean, what I find interesting is that for some, uh, this no doubt seems even better than schlepping to the airport and all the other travel challenges. Uh, you know, after all, you can still view the same panels as if you were at the event. Uh, I mean, of course, the partially hidden value of those events comes in between the panels, really, when you can renew friendships and acquaintances and meet new people. You know, at every event I've been to in the last three years, every day, a few people come up and say, oh, I see your your tag, you know, John Brennan. uh because uh, I've been covering gaming issues for so long, they, they're familiar with me. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, did you miss the schlepping, Eric? <laughs> uh, I definitely did not miss the schlepping. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, uh, like from a from a note-taking perspective, I, I definitely prefer the option to watch on demand afterward and pause mm-hmm. while I transcribe. That that certainly mm-hmm. helps. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I get all the, the pros and cons of digital versus in-person, and I know that you're a bigger networker than I am. Uh, you know, but I, yeah, it's definitely important to meet people in the industry those connections lead to interviews and podcast appearances yeah, and so yeah. forth. But I also like the convenience of getting all the same information without changing out of my pajamas. So yeah, this is probably a little, <laughs> a little more up my alley than yours, I guess. Yeah. I, I will say that the, the Euro, Euro, the Eurocentric panel that, uh, that I covered early in the week, um, accentuated for me something I already kind of knew. Europeans are sick to death of gambling advertisements and gambling <laughs> opponents have been ready to pounce on even the slightest hint of efforts to exploit a distressed board public's mostly unwanted free time. Um, I haven't heard those concerns in New Jersey or Pennsylvania yet, though. So that that was kind of a contrast um, in Europe to the U.S. because they're both the same concern. And it's legitimate, you know, that that there is that distressed board public mostly on one free time in Europe and the United States. Uh, it's a legitimate you know, issue. But um, I haven't I haven't heard of anything uh, in the Northeast, you know, which is kind of the gambling center of the U.S. right now um, in terms of more advertising or any of that. Yeah, you know, I'd, I, I found your story interesting with all that talk about marketing and, and how across the board everyone seems conscious of, of tasteful advertising. So I'm not sure if, if the volume of the advertising has changed uh, in mm-hmm. the U.S., but I certainly 
have noticed, you know, on those rare occasions when I'm watching live TV now, uh, I've seen, you know, advertisements for Play Sugar House or FanDuel or whatever, and nobody seems to be playing the win big, get rich card at the moment. It's mm, it's yeah. about having fun and mentioning what the deposit bonus is. So I'm, I'm glad to see that. It seems the industry realizes it has to promote gambling responsibly uh, now more than ever. Yeah, and for the casual player in New Jersey and Pennsylvania in particular, I mean, and it's true more and more states around the country, but um, uh, it is a good time if you're going to do it casually and responsibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bonuses are, are still pretty good. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the the yeah, the opportunities to basically come out of the gate, make a little free money, and and possibly cash right out if uh, if it doesn't go too poorly for you. There, those are all over the place right now. Um, so I I uh, did a a poker panel as I mentioned. I found it pretty interesting. The speakers were all European, so none of them were speaking specifically to the U.S. online poker market. But most of what's happening there applies here. And the, the key quote that I got came from uh, Evenbet Gaming CEO Dmitry Starostenkov, who said, "I think poker is acting as the lifesaver for sports betting operators right now, along with casino content and virtual sports." So, like some of the numbers cited varied between two times and three times the number of players and, and an amount of revenue for online poker, uh, the amount to which uh, it's, it's gone up during the pandemic. Um, I thought some people were going overboard comparing it to the moneymaker boom um, because this is, is far less sustainable. But I suppose when the pandemic is over, there will definitely be more online poker players than there were before it started. Like I figure even if 90% of these new players churn out because they lose and they don't want to try again, or they're only playing because they're stuck at home temporarily. Even so, if 10% of the new players stick around, that's that's still a huge boost to the poker pool. Yeah, that 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 makes sense, and I think those numbers are probably in line. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's uh, move on to our second news story. Uh, this wasn't the environment in which DraftKings was dreaming of doing this, but the DFS giant turned sports betting giant has at long last gone public. Diamond Eagle shareholders officially approved the $2.7 billion acquisition of DraftKings, and the company traded publicly for the first time last Friday, and the stock jumped more than 10% in its first day. The timing of DraftKings going public in a world without sports was a bit weird, uh, but the market doesn't seem to mind, at least not yet. In a somewhat related timing note, I wrote a few days before DraftKings went public about them settling the class action suit against them for the sports betting national championship controversy. And when I interviewed Rufus Peabody for the article, he mentioned that he thought there was a connection between the timing of the settlement and the company being about to go public. Uh, Anyway, going public wasn't the only DraftKings news this week, as the company soft launched its online casino in Pennsylvania, becoming the 10th iCasino operator in the state at a time when iCasino revenue is very welcome. We'll see if, like FanDuel, they struggle to attract online casino traffic without sports to reel customers in. Uh, But uh, back to the main part of this story. John, uh, thoughts on a major U.S. sports betting company like DraftKings going public? And are you surprised the stock is doing well under the circumstances? Yeah, Eric, I'm still digesting how DraftKings and FanDuel came along, you know, barely a decade ago uh, collectively mm-hmm. and clearly realized not only the potential revolution in sports betting in America, but that the traditional gambling brands were relatively asleep at the wheel when the opportunity was there. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
heck, the founding of DraftKings and FanDuel, my creation of the Metal Lens Matters gambling blog, and New Jersey voters passing a referendum allowing sports betting, which are all kind of connected, uh, they all happened from 2009 to 2012. Right. Um, and now the mega billions valuation of DraftKings is so so high. Unfortunately, I can't offer any stock advice that might sick the SEC. You know, not that one. Not that. Not that one. The Security Exchange Commission, right, yeah, on me. Uh, but the fact is, it went from birth to billions, unquestionably, in eight short years. And, and I got a co-hosting uh, spot out of it on this uh, podcast. So uh, we all got rich in our own way. <laughs> there you go. Rich, rich being a relative term, I suppose. But uh, yeah, um, I, I found it interesting, um, you know, in, in reading the articles about DraftKings going public, that it, everyone in every quote related to this news is talking about the long game, because you know, obviously sports betting and DFS are kind of in the toilet at this particular moment. Uh, but, you know, they'll come back and, and everyone recognizes how huge sports betting is going to become, even if we're looking at three months or six months or even 18 months uh, of limited options. Uh, Sports Handle had a good quote from Jason Robbins. This was actually from a couple of months ago. He said, for investors who have convictions in the industry, they don't get too hung up in what happens this quarter or even next year. If you have conviction and believe in the ultimate market, you'll be patient as it unfolds. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you were highlighting how ahead of the curve DraftKings and FanDuel were, and maybe yeah. either they saw the future coming or they got a little lucky, uh, but either way, they they pounced on it uh, when, when New Jersey went live and uh and they've really been been dominating the u.s online sports betting market from the jump yeah i mean there's no question that they uh they they got something that the traditional companies didn't get and um yeah that probably is a little lucky but i also think that they recognized it and i think they ramped up what they were trying to do because recognizing the, the size of the hole, like, you know, the opening in the, uh, the offensive line opens the big, the huge hole, not just a right. little hole. <laughs> and they're like, wow, I gotta, I gotta sprint to the, you know, right straight through. And, uh, they did it. So credit to them. Yep. Um, and th there was an additional complication, uh, besides there being no sports at the moment, or at least not much sports, uh, which is that the, the DraftKings Diamond Eagle deal involves SB Tech providing the tech for DraftKings. And there was a cyber attack on SB Tech in March that, that shut them down and knocked their sports books offline for, in some cases, several weeks, uh, which is uh, not great. Uh, although I suppose if you're focused on the long term, uh, assuming that was a fluke and not a security issue that'll repeat, I, I guess that's not a long term concern. Uh, yeah, that's a long game thing again. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe they're lucky again because uh, if it had to happen, it's no <laughs> yeah. better time than now. <laughs> exactly. All right, our final story here for the third week in a row, we have estates March revenue to discuss. Uh, this time it's Nevada, which, unlike Pennsylvania and New Jersey, doesn't have online casino and doesn't allow remote sign up for online sports betting, so the numbers were fairly bleak. Total gaming win was down 39.5% for the month, and sportsbooks took $141.2 million in wagers, down from nearly $600 million in March 2019, and only about $89 million of that sports betting was done via mobile, well below the 90%-ish numbers seen in our home states. Interestingly, table game wagering fell a little bit more than slots did, uh, suggesting that even before the casinos closed, customers were more wary of sitting in close proximity to other people than they were of pushing buttons at the machines. Uh, meanwhile, on the topic of Nevada casinos, while Governor Sisolak talks in vague terms about plans to reopen, Wynn Resort spokesman Michael Weaver said this week, 
We are accepting reservations beginning Memorial Day weekend because it has consistently been a popular time for Southern California tourists to visit Las Vegas. We can have all of our protective guest and employee measures in place by that time. Uh, John, I know we talked last week about how the only thing we know for sure is that nobody knows anything. Um, but do you think strip casinos will actually be open on Memorial Day weekend about a month from now? Uh, and, and did anything jump out at you in those March numbers for Nevada? Yeah, I mean, at this snapshot in time, and, and you, you put it well, but uh, I do think there's a reasonable chance the strip is back in business that weekend. I mean, if you're talking about young people may have already have developed antibodies showing up, taking precautions to use social distancing and staying relatively sober as they gamble in a non-crowded environment. Uh, well, they don't call it gambling for nothing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll sit out the Vegas this summer myself, frankly. But um, as for the Nevada numbers specifically, um, the mobile sportsbook revenue was about half that of New Jersey, but that's a decent correlation to respect the population. So that's not terrible. But the fact that Las Vegas residents who are only casual bettors never saw the need to sign up for a mobile betting app and couldn't do so in the second half of March because an in-person sign-up is required at a casino first. I mean – at the risk of a second literary reference, uh, we're both Cassandra on that, Eric, um, with the curse of repeatedly explaining why the first time sign up makes little sense, yet more and more legislators uh, fail to heed our calls. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see if when this is all over, if some of these silly silly rules that we consider silly little rules uh, will will get changed. Uh, that's certainly not not a good one there. Um, I mean, in, just in terms of the uh, the the wind statement and what's going to happen with the strip and Memorial Day and all that. Um, I sympathize with the plight of the casinos and the people that work there. Um, but my position is uh, is that you can't force it. Uh, you know, we we all want our old normal to come back as soon as possible, and open casinos are a part of that. Uh, but you know, our chance to really control this thing passed several months ago, and if you open stuff up too soon, I think there there are two drawbacks to be aware of. One you'll create another wave of sickness. It's unavoidable. Uh, you know, we're seeing it in all of the places where this virus hasn't been taken seriously. And two, business is going to be extremely slow, even if you reopen, because basically what you were just saying about how you're not going to Vegas anytime soon, you know, a great majority of people are going to continue social distancing until they believe it's safe, not until some casino tells them that, that it's safe. Um, all of which is a long way of me saying, I wouldn't bet against strip casinos being open by Memorial Day weekend. I, I think it's very possible, but I would kind of bet against it being worth it for them. Um, but, you know, if, if they're going to do it and everyone is required to wear a mask and social distancing rules are followed, if the setup is as strict as it is in my local supermarket, uh, then, then, you know, we'll see some spread, but maybe not a full-blown outbreak in Vegas. I guess that's kind of the best we can hope for if they're going to go ahead with this. Uh, that's really interesting. You mentioned masks. And again, I'm in New Jersey, so I know what you're talking about. You can't go anywhere literally without without a mask. So we're it's a new normal for us. And it's not in most of the country. And I, I don't boy, people going to Las Vegas in a casino wearing a mask. I mean, I understand the, you know, the, the reasons for it. Right. I, I'm, boy, I'm not sure they're going to do that. So that's actually the most intriguing uh, point you raised that um, I think there's going to be a natural sort of self-selection of hopefully older people not going there, people at risk not going there. Right. Um, not huge crowds because so many people are concerned to go and yet being open to you know, keep the employees going and, and that could be helpful. I'm thinking all that could kind of work out in a, in a, in a self-selecting way, 
But the mass thing, yeah, that's really intriguing to me. I, <laughs> if you're going to Las Vegas, you just not. That's not really how you're thinking. You're you're taking a big shot. You know, you're spending a lot of money and you're you're going for it, and then uh, you're gonna then. Uh, say yeah, I'm going for it, but I'm, I gotta play it safe. I gotta wear a mask. <laughs> I, again, I'm not I'm not gonna criticize anybody who wears a mask anywhere. Right. But I wonder if people will do that. Well, I guess it uh, will depend uh, to some degree on whether the casinos make it a rule that to come mm-hmm. in the door you need to be wearing a mask. I mean, I, and I guess everyone who shows up there is going to have a mask in their possession because uh, it seems the air, the airlines are increasingly making it a rule that to fly mm-hmm. you need a mask. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It's <laughs> I wrote. Um, in one of my poker stories like two weeks ago, uh, I guess the one where I was saying that uh, I was expecting that the World Series of Poker would be would be canceled, but lo- or at least postponed. But looking at uh, some of the longer term effects uh, with regard to the masks, uh, I, th- I, I expect we're going to see some poker players taking advantage of this for years to come, that, that there will be people who will wear a mask at the poker table to cover up their tells under this uh, new new feeling that, hey, it's perfectly OK. He, he's, he's just being safe and uh, trying to protect himself and others. And so we can't get a read on what his mouth is doing right now. Yeah, I'm trying to picture like the all the Vegas young people with the yards of beer walking around the casino. Like, <laughs> right. there's gonna be some kind of a, a mask that either like you know has a little bit of a cutout so you can still guzzle it. Or, I don't know if there's gonna be an IV drip going or something, but uh, you know the people go to Las Vegas, they're gonna drink and somehow they're gonna do it. And a mask is not exactly you know working with that. So I think we'll see some uh, unanticipated uh, innovations, shall we say? I, I suppose so. Um, I- uh, but, you know, I, I, hey, they have those uh, salad bar style sneeze guards that are going to be in place at the at the blackjack yeah. table. So uh, that should keep everyone safe, right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm still not going. <laughs> it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. Sports may be taking a break this spring, but sports law takes no breaks. There's always somebody to sue and some complicated contract situation to iron out. Joining us now for his second appearance on the podcast is one of America's foremost sports and gaming attorneys, Daniel Wallach. He's the co-founder of the University of New Hampshire Law Sports Wagering and Integrity Program. He's the co-host of Conduct Detrimental, the sports law podcast. And since we last spoke with him, he became a contributor at The Athletic. Dan, welcome back to Gamble On. Eric, John, thanks for having me back. It's an honor to be uh, invited back for an encore performance. Yeah, as we, and as we were just uh, discussing uh, off air before we started rolling, uh, you are you are an experienced podcaster uh, yourself back in the game uh, with the Conduct Detrimental Pod that I mentioned. And um, on a recent episode of that podcast, you had Alan Milstein on. Uh, I recently had my first interaction with Alan because he represented the second place finisher who became the first place finisher in that DraftKings Bachelor controversy. Um, anyway, you and Alan spoke about the legal and ethical issues surrounding the return of major sports. This isn't necessarily a legal question, although you can comment on the legal aspects if you wish, but what are your expectations about which major pro league will return first and and how soon you think that'll be? Well, it looks like based on on reports, Major League Baseball seems to be uh, furthest, furthest along in the continuum 
uh, among the different leagues. Uh, some of the complicating factors affecting the National Basketball Association is they've had uh, some, you know, diagnosed cases on the Brooklyn Nets and the the Utah Jazz. I think baseball of the four sports can be most uh, effectively staged with the proper amount of social distancing. Of course, I I wouldn't want to be the catcher or the umpire, Hmm. but in hockey, they're hitting each other. Uh, There there's, there's mano a mano contact in basketball, uh, their arms and hand, they're on top of each other all game long. So I think aside from the single uh, participant sports like tennis or golf, Ping pong uh, of the four majors, I would expect Major League Baseball to have the quickest path uh, back to empty stadiums and and back to sports books nationwide. I mean, I don't have a a time frame. Uh, I I know about as much as anyone else does because the news seems to you know shift from day to day to day. But the one one thing that I'm worried about is uh, that the economic aspects to this. Uh, seem to be uh, almost carrying equal weight to the health concerns and the public safety. And and, and certainly, uh, if you look at how um, other nations and other sports ministers are handling the return of, of, of sport, uh, they're taking a much more cautious approach. I mean, I understand that the leagues and, and, our, and our states want to have contingency plans in place. But, I mean, if you have one positive test one player get infected, uh, it will it will bring the whole thing to a crashing halt. I mean, we're far away from having uh, testing done on a daily basis for hundreds of athletes. So I don't see this thing coming back before July. But to the extent any are going to make it back first, I would expect it to be baseball. Right. And, and just to, to follow up on the fact that the, it seems the key factor that you're focusing on is is how close competitors are to one another and how much contact there is. That doesn't bode too well for the NFL, if that's the key factor. Are, are you uh, are, are, are you pessimistic about the NFL starting on time, or do you think uh, you know because that's not till September, uh, we we still have a, a pretty good shot there? Well, yeah, for a, for a, for a, a league that held a draft during the height of the pandemic and has done nothing to alter its business as usual strategy, uh, give, given given the fact that their ownership uh, has been largely in alignment with President Trump on a number of different political issues, the flag, Colin Kaepernick, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see the NFL, uh, you know, come back. I don't know, maybe not in September, maybe it's a shortened schedule, uh, but I would expect the National Football League to, to have a season. Right. Um, whether that's safe for the participants or safe for the training staff or safe for the hundreds, if not thousands of people who work in close proximity with the teams, the players, the coaching staff, uh, I don't think that that's advisable to even consider at this point. I mean, but if you look at what's happening nationwide, a number of states are reopening their parks and golf courses and more and more businesses are being declared, you know, essential. I mean, in Georgia, I mean, you can, you can get a haircut tomorrow. So what's to stop an NFL team from, uh, you know, reopening at the Georgia dome. The complicating factor here is that you have 50 States and 32 teams and to stage games, 
where you have different, uh, you know, state agencies and county agencies that are weighing in on what's an essential or non-essential business. Uh, I, I think we're I think we're a couple of months away from having clarity on this because you can't have games in one in one state that allows it and then put another team at a competitive disadvantage because they can't play in their home buildings right. and send them somewhere else. So I think we might be looking at neutral site games across the board. I mean, but your guess is as good as mine. I mean, this is the most shifting and quickly evolving dynamic, uh, you know, that I've seen. But I worry that professional sports is being used as a uh, sort of a metaphor for the return to normalcy. Um, you know that it is that that sports are the you know sort of the you know public relations vehicle or the tool to be able to show the you know nation at large that things are returning back to normal. But I wouldn't want to be one of the participants. I don't necessarily want to be separated from my family for four months and playing in a bubble somewhere in Arizona. Right. There are a lot of real world you know um, implications here, and I'm just fearful that you know President Trump's uh, you know urge to uh, a desire to bring the economy back to normal sooner is being placed on the back of professional sports, and there could be grave consequences here if it's not done conservatively and not done safely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Daniel, you know, if my fake law degree, uh, School of Hard Knocks uh, edition, uh, serves me right, I think Illinois' gambling laws are fairly typical in the U.S. So the 5-1 decision recently by that state's highest court that daily fantasy sports is legal, you know, though it's not binding on other state courts, I'm thinking it could serve as somewhat of a model if lawsuits spring up in similar states. Um, But the dissenting judge made an interesting point that it seemed like a stretch to allow online DFS as a game predominantly of skill, but not online poker. I mean, you know, there are numerous professional poker players out there who, you know, either they're very skillful or they're some lucky bastards year after year winning all six figures of income. So, you know, A, does that dissent hold much water for you in terms of relevance to poker? And also B, are New York's gambling laws different enough that a third and final court ruling there could put a nail in the DFS coffin in New York without seeming to contradict the Illinois court reasoning? Yeah, John, you may not have a law degree, but this multi-part, uh, sub-part question brings back nightmares of first-year law school final exams. You've just, you just, you just regurgitated the perfect, uh, you know, final exam question for, you know, third-year gaming law course. So I congratulate you on that, and you definitely have an honorary law degree in in the anti-commandeering doctrine, the Tenth <laughs> Amendment, and federalism. I mean, you've got a healthy dosage of that over the years mm-hmm. following the New Jersey sports betting case. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting back to the Illinois decision, the Illinois uh, gaming uh, regime or the gaming statute is far from typical. Uh, most of the state, so, so, the legality of of a, of a particular game or contest under gambling law varies from state to state. As you know, gambling is not regulated at the federal level. The primary determinant of whether something is legal or not is a byproduct of state law. And most states decide the question of whether ga- whether a contest is, is legal or illegal gambling by virtue of the allocation between skill and chance. Illinois was one of the two states that did not follow that regime. Mm. In Illinois, it was illegal to bet on both games of chance and contests of skill. And Florida's the same way. So the skill versus chance debate really didn't make much of a difference in Illinois. What was really astounding about the Supreme Court decision is that the Illinois Supreme Court grafted 
into these, I guess, the, the interpretation of Illinois law, a predominance requirement. It shows a test. Uh, you know, there are basically three different uh, tests for determining whether a game of contests or game of contest is a form of gambling. There's the predominance uh, test, which is followed by 27 states, now 28, um, the any chance test. And what I more accurately refer to is the materiality future contingent event test, which is what New York follows. And it's difficult to take the result in Illinois and apply it across the board to every other state. Uh, what, what, what the Illinois Supreme Court found very unremarkably is that daily fantasy sports entails a predominance of skill. We already knew that. A number of state attorney generals in states that follow a predominance test reached the same conclusion. What the Illinois Supreme Court did was that they chose a test, and that test was the predominance test. Now, in New York, and I'll get to the dissent in, in, in a minute, but the New York test is a lower threshold for what constitutes gambling. Uh, the way the Illinois Supreme Court viewed the universe is that it's you look at how much chance – is involved relative to skill. New York has a slightly different formulation. New York has an alternative approach to finding gambling. Uh, it's either a contest of skill or it's a future contingent event that you don't control or influence. The Illinois statute doesn't have that formulation. It's uh, Originally, it was you can't do either skill or chance, but the Supreme Court now has made it a predominance analysis. In New York, if the player can't control or influence the outcome it's considered gambling so i'm not i'm not sure how the illinois result will have any impact on the pending new york legal proceedings over the new york interactive fantasy sports law it's a it's a different analysis that focuses on the extent to which dfs players can control or influence the outcome yeah, so as Illinois court, in effect, then uh, the the gambling laws of the state, it sounds like you're saying, uh, were not typical, but they decided to sort of join the majority uh, or or force the state into that. And then how does that play into online poker, whether, you know, there would be a, a, a good court challenge there because of what the courts decided? Well, I mean, poker, again, is it, it, it's, uh, you know, you can look at the New York versus Illinois approach to really get an appreciation for why poker can be legal in some jurisdictions, but not others. Mm -hmm. New York courts have consistently recognized that poker is, ga is illegal gambling because the amount of skill that players bring to bear in the game cannot uh, do anything to, to control or influence the turn of the card. So it's the random distribution of the card that determines the outcome of the contest. Uh, it doesn't mean that skill is immaterial or skill isn't predominant, but the test under New York, under the New, the New York penal law, is whether um, the outcome depends in a material degree on an element of chance. And the outcome of every poker game depends in part on the draw of the next card. So in New York, uh, poker is, you know, I guess counterintuitively illegal. But under a predominance test, it would likely pass legal muster. I know there are some cases all across the board that find poker illegal even under a predominance analysis, but there are, there are judicial decisions that go both way on that. And I believe that the Illinois Supreme Court decision could be a gateway 
for um, other skill-based games to come into legal clarity, such as you know, poker, esports, skill-based video games. I work with video gaming manufacturers that are that that are looking to get into the world of real money gaming, where you you, you put money in the in the in the in the, uh, in the receptacle, you play a video game head to head against somebody or just against the machine. It's a game of skill. Why can't that be gambling? And I think that the Supreme Court's decision really is a sort of a welcome mat to other forms of skill-based gaming becoming uh, you know, legally recognizable in Illinois. So it's a it's a wonderful decision if you're if you're a would-be operator of online poker or any kind of uh, skill-based gaming. All right, I'll give you an A for that uh, response from my uh, tests. <laughs> Okay. Well, I mean, John, John, I think you've been an easy grader uh, because I've, I've been I've been your uh, I've, I've been the teacher's pet in your class for so many years. You and I go way back. I mean, who else uh, who else, you know, do you know that, you know, sat into the sat in the Trenton federal courthouse, the Third Circuit three or four times? I mean, God, I've 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 seen you all over the map. We go back almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. So it's it's amazing how one, you know, le- big legal battle comes to an end. But we keep, you know, intersecting at all these different levels of the gaming industry. Yeah, we're enjoying it. That's a good time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll, I'll interrupt this uh, mutual admiration society going on here to ask another question, uh, Dan. Uh, I know that you uh, keep an extremely close eye on sports betting legislation and who's advancing the ball and who isn't. Uh, Virginia seems to have the ball on the one-yard line. With so many legislatures not meeting because of coronavirus or so preoccupied with the virus that sports betting becomes a relatively low priority, what's the likelihood, uh, in your view, that anyone else besides Virginia passes a bill in the remainder of 2020? Okay, well, uh, to your point, remember the Seattle Seahawks also had the football at the one or two yard line <laughs> a couple of Super Bowls ago, so it ain't over till it's over. Uh, but I, I would I would say Virginia, um, you know, you can put into the into the win column. Uh, the problem with the coronavirus and how that plays into state legislative activity is that most state legislatures have, uh, you know, fixed durations. Uh, at which they meet New York, which was, you know, on a path to try to have some momentum building behind, you know, mobile sports betting. And John and I have disagreed or have different views on the likelihood of that. Mm-hmm. But the, the fact that the, the legislature in New York it can't meet in person and that their session ends in early June, I think pretty much puts an end to any hope that uh, a state like New York can pass something as uh, you know sweeping and, and as controversial, especially given the governor's position, that anything can be done on mobile sports betting, where I think the legislature in New York can make a difference and bypass Governor Cuomo, is that now might be the perfect opportunity to um, uh, initiate a voter referendum process. In New York State, to amend, you know, New York State has a constitutional prohibition against gambling, and the way that casino gambling and then eventually sports betting became legal in New York was because of the casino ballot question back in I think it was 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, if nothing is going to get this, if nothing is going to get accomplished this year in gaming on a legislative level, uh, why let the year lapse? And not at least try to start the clock on the voter referendum process, because under the New York uh, under New York law, it takes two successive sessions of legislative approval to uh, place a you know a, a proposed gambling expansion question on the statewide ballot. And since 
mobile sports betting looks like a no-go this session. And since daily fantasy sports are, you know, in a state of legal flux in New York until the New York Court of Appeal rules, this might be a golden opportunity for Dabo yeah. and Pretlow to um, get going a proposed joint resolution of the Senate and the Assembly to amend the New York State Constitution to create as an exception to the prohibition on gambling, daily fantasy sports, mobile sports betting, and online gambling. First of all, that could be a hedge against an adverse New York Court of Appeal decision in the DFS case. And in the in the realm of mobile betting, mobile sports betting and online gaming, it gets us one year closer to the eventuality or actuality of having that. Because if they can pass that joint resolution this session, and it wouldn't seem to be a controversial measure because it, it really places the question in the hands of the people. It doesn't have the same kind of political consequences as voting for gambling expansion. What they're what they're voting for is to place the question on the ballot to let the people decide. So by getting it started now, it could place New York on a track for potentially um, having all those forms of online gambling as early as January 2022, which is only a year and a half away. So why waste this opportunity and lose a year? Hmm, interesting. Any other states, Dan, you can think of for this year? I know, like you said, a lot of legislatures wrap up in the first half of the year, but uh, any other states uh, might uh, do something? I think Massachusetts uh, looks like, you know, barring some kind of exceptional setback or uh, you know, stay at home or something COVID-19 related that prevents the legislature from meeting. I mean, they have a session that doesn't end until July. And uh, four years ago, for those with a, mem- for, for, with a memory about how daily fantasy sports became legal, the Massachusetts legislature acted in August of 2016. So given the elongated legislative session in Massachusetts and the fact that uh, a new sports betting bill has cleared through or at least been blessed by an important uh, you know, legislative committee. I would think Massachusetts is a very high likelihood to pass a sports betting law this year. I mean, they're going to be facing pressure from uh, their neighbors in New Hampshire and Rhode Island. And with the casinos in Massachusetts being closed, the racetracks, uh, they, they, could, they could use the recovery uh, from from gaming revenues. And I think online uh, gaming and sports betting might be a way to get there because when sports does come back, sports wagering will flourish because all of this pent up uh, you know, energy from not being able to bet on, on traditional sports. And, and then when you're going to have empty stadiums, those hundreds of thousands of fans nationwide who attend games, well, they're going to be home watching the game on TV, watching it on their phone. You're going to have much more fan engagement and potential bettors. Uh, so I think Massachusetts is a real strong candidate. Uh, California might be a dark horse candidate because you, you because, because there's a tribal initiative to place the question of sports betting on the November ballot. But given the uh, the, the the state uh, pause on you know on public gathering, I don't think they've gathered enough signatures. They needed close to a million signatures by the end of April, so it's highly unlikely that the tribes have garnered enough signatures to place it on the ballot. And then if it does get on the ballot, how could you vote for a measure that is an exclusively brick-and-mortar oriented sports wagering approach during a pandemic? (laughs) It seems counterintuitive. A state as as geographically diffuse as California uh, that is bordered by so many other states that have mobile sports betting would seem to be a natural 
to have mobile sports betting itself. Because if you live on the Oregon or, or Nevada border, you could just drive across the, you know, those those state borders and place a bet five or ten minutes away. And the nearest Indian reservation could be an hour away. If you live in Los Angeles, it's close to an hour to the nearest Indian reservation. So um, convenience would be an anathema under this California tribal bill. So one possibility or two possibilities would be, one, if the California legislature can meet before the end of the session, it's possible that the legislature could introduce their own ballot question to get on this November's ballot. They won't need any signatures. See, a citizen's initiative requires a million signatures thereabout. But if the legislature uh, votes, I think two thirds would be required in each chamber, the legislature could place its own ballot question on the November ballot without needing signatures. So that remains as a short term possibility. And failing that, uh, there is a debate in California over whether a const- whether a constitutional amendment is even necessary. I testified in front of the legislature in January, and my reading of the case law and my reading of the state constitution is that the prohibition is only directed at Nevada and New Jersey-style casinos. Well, that's not sports betting, and I've done a very detailed analysis on why the legislature has authority to enact a sports betting law without requiring a constitutional amendment. So that could be in play next year. Mm. All right. And uh, finally, Dan, for a few minutes a few weeks ago, it sort of looked as if West Virginia might begin offering wagering on political elections, starting uh, with FanDuel, I think. Um, That struck me as hard to believe, and it went away almost as soon as it popped its head above ground, and uh, it's not happening. But um, can you talk about whether many or or even any states uh, could pull that switch and if they wanted to without the change in their laws? And even if they could, is the American culture ready to bet on politics like now or ever? Of course. I mean, they're betting on Turkish soccer, uh, Belarus and hockey. Why wouldn't they bet on national politics? Uh, Do you think the presidential election has integrity related concerns? I mean, you could safely bet on political elections. There's so much polling. I think the integrity there are integrity concerns in everything. Right. But. Uh, I think when you talk about statewide politics, national politics, we're all talking about it. I mean, you know, every channel is tuned to, you know, some political show. There is demand for that kind of activity, and it's and it and it's commonplace in so many other states. Twenty twenty may be too soon for America, uh, but if all we're talking about is state statutory law standing in the way, well. I mean, those laws can be modified or repealed going forward. And I would I would expect that by 2024, um, there will be states that allow uh, betting on elections. Well, these states need like a, a simple legislative approval with a majority. Will they need constitutional amendments in general or what, you know, what uh, kind of prevents states from doing it now? Like how much heavy lifting basically would they have to do to make that happen? Again, that will that will vary from state to state. New York, for example, has a constitutional ban on gambling. Well, what's betting on an election? Uh, that's gambling, and there is not there there are no carve outs in the New York Constitution for gambling on political elections. So that one might require a constitutional amendment in New York State, but in West Virginia, uh, I think if they repeal the statutory ban on gambling on elections and uh, provide 
some authority or, or, or you know, enact a, an enabling law or amend the existing gambling law to authorize betting on elections. It's as simple as that. Of course, there are some other people and some other, uh, you know, commentators who believe there may be a commodities, you know, legal issue, some CFTC, no action letters that, you know, have talked about um uh, uh, gambling on political elections as being covered under a different legal regime as well. Um, I, I'm not, you know, if you're betting on who's going to win an election, I don't see how that's an investment contract or a commodity or something that would trigger a different set of federal laws. Uh, in all likelihood, this can be handled on a state by state basis through repeals and authorization, the kind of work that state legislatures do year after year after year. It was just too late for, for West Virginia to do anything about it because their legislature had already, you know, pretty much, you know, uh, recessed. And the lottery was trying to post enactment of the law, reinterpret it to cover gambling on elections. A year from now, they might be able to do it legally uh, without any complication. So uh, I, I think it will vary from state to state as a public policy uh, matter, which which state lawmakers, uh, you know, have, you know, uh, the, the, there may be some concerns in some, some states about gambling on elections. But I think you'll see, just like with, with casino gambling, lotteries, racetracks, sports betting, uh, they all, states will make their own determinations as to whether and to what extent different types of, you know, gambling uh, contests will be allowed. And it will largely fracture along state lines. But I would expect within a few years, uh, we'll be seeing states legalizing, you know, political betting. Hmm. Well, as I've told John, uh, both on and off the air, for, for 2020, even if it became uh, legal where I live, uh, I think I would abstain because I just uh, I, I have enough skin in the game already and my blood <laughs> pressure is going to be high enough already. I don't I don't need any extra sweat in November 2020. <laughs> yeah, uh, agreed. Agreed. I think we all have an opinion one way or the other. I mean, right. we don't need uh, betting to have engagement in the process. Uh, th this is probably the most emotional time politically in our era. But but still, uh, people have strong convictions Right. about who they think will win and what they think will happen. And even with skin in the game, uh, there's nothing wrong with a little side action. Uh, <laughs> right. And I can tell you that there is such – there obviously is demand for this kind of bet – this kind of betting. And where there's demand, uh, there will be action taken to make that possible. Um, I mean you can, you can bet on elections in, in other countries. And I think uh, just like sports betting became a new thing here because of a change in the law, it will take another change in the law and this time a statutory change to make it possible for uh, betting on elections. I don't see that as a long shot by any means. Uh, I, I would expect that uh, by 2024 in a number of different jurisdictions. Well, it is uh, always great talking to you. Speaking of uh, demand-generating action, I think we will uh, hear some demand from our audience to have uh, Dan Wallach on a third time uh, soon. But uh, yeah. for now, it's been been great talking to you, Dan. Thanks so much yeah. for coming on the podcast again. My, my, my pleasure. I aspire to be the Alec Baldwin of Campbell on. <laughs> uh, I want to break Alec's uh, Saturday Night Live record. I mean, this is only two. But, you know, eventually two becomes three and then you can't stop the momentum. It becomes this irresistible lure. Exactly. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Dan. Uh, stay safe. Great talking to you. Thanks for having me on and uh, just stay healthy. I look forward to seeing you both in person uh, soon enough. Two men. Two men. $10,000.
Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We won't be making any new bankroll bets this week, but our NFL draft betting results are in, so we'll go over those quickly. We had five bets. Only two of the five were winners, but we were profitable anyway. Uh, first, the losing bets. Uh, Jerry Judy to the Jets at plus 300. Nope, they didn't take a receiver in the first round, so we lost $50 there. Uh, next, over five and a half Alabama players taken in the first round. We were looking solid. Uh, I think it was four Alabama players among the first 17, uh, but we never got the next two. So we lost $110 on that one. And then the heartbreaker, uh, and, and I knew there was a chance that this one would end in exactly this fashion. Uh, under 0.5 running backs in the first round, I got all the way to the final pick of the round, number 32, and Andy Reid screwed me, uh, a feeling I'm all too familiar with. Uh, so so that cost us $100. Uh, now for the good news. You had Tua going to Miami at even money, and he did, so we won $100 on that one. And I bet $20 per spot on points bet for Jalen Hurts to go under pick 62.5, and he was drafted 53rd by my Philadelphia Eagles. I don't like the pit one bit as an Eagles fan, but our bankroll likes it to the tune of $200. Uh, so uh, all in all, we won $40 with our draft bets. So we're up by $189, and we have $990 on hold in futures bets. John, thoughts on the NFL draft betting? Uh, I love that. One of the most criticized picks in the draft, the Hertz, goes to your team, <laughs> and we turn that into a modestly profitable event. That's awesome. Yep. <laughs> and also, uh, you're talking about Andy Reid and the long-suffering, and uh, reminds me of uh, my Aunt Marie from Reading, Pennsylvania. Uh, Forty years ago, when the uh, Phillies finally won the World Series, um, she told me that, and she was a huge baseball fan. I mean, she was going to Wrigley Field bleachers in the 1950s when ladies were not supposed to go unattended. You know, I mean, uh, <laughs> she, she was that much of a maverick and a rebel. But um, she told me that, you know, it, it's nice they won, but uh, she thought that the the Phillies were unique because they're the only one of the 16 original franchises that had never won the World Series. And now they're just another team. And, and <laughs> I didn't really get it at all, but I'm starting to learn it. And now you know, you're kind of in that spot because you part of you wants to be able to say Andy Reid screwed me again and I'm familiar with that and I'm long suffering and you just won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. So <laughs> you, you, you have no uh, capital on the, the uh, kvetching. So I like that. But, uh, but frankly, the whole draft was a lot of fun. I mean, my favorite part, if not everybody's favorite part was the youngsters reactions to their dads and being on TV um, in all the, the draft rooms. Um, yeah. You know, yep. Giants, Giants coach Joe judge. Uh, he didn't draft at the family home, kind of a last minute decision. Um, he said afterwards, he's in trouble with his six year old daughter who got to watch all the other kids on TV. And she asked him if she would ever get another chance to be famous. <laughs> so I guess we're now we're going to find out if Eric's kids listen to dad's podcast, because uh, if they do, they're going to just happen to walk into the frame on our, our next uh, podcast interview on zoom. <laughs> Uh, no, they know they know better. They know if the if the basement door is closed, that means uh, Daddy is recording, and uh, oh, in, only in case of emergency are they allowed to come down here. Although it's funny, my my son uh, did talk about how one time he he needed something from the basement, so he quietly did like an an army crawl behind me uh, to, to grab something, and I never even knew he was in the room. He claims so, uh, but the the Andy Reid point uh, that that you make, uh, I'll, I'll just uh, note that that absolutely came into play with uh, with this Super Bowl that the Chiefs won. I was rooting for for Andy Reid and happy for Andy Reid. And if the Eagles had not won the Super Bowl two years earlier, <laughs> you better believe I would not have been happy for Andy <laughs> Reid at all. 
exactly. That's fair. Um, unfortunately, uh, the the draft is the last uh, big betting event for a little while, but it, it does seem some medium-sized events are on the horizon. Uh, we might have UFC a week from now. There's some NASCAR and some golf getting closer, so I expect we'll find an excuse or two to, to wager sometime during the month of May. Yeah, maybe even next week. Who knows? Maybe. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Daniel Wallach. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And with that, John, I hand it over to you. Please take us out. Yeah, you know, I hope many of you listening out there are, are kind of feeling your spirits lifted a little bit lately, especially on the sports front um, and more importantly, on the life front. Um, I just want to highly recommend that you look for ways to keep strong your bonds with fellow fantasy league owners in any sport. I mean, mine is baseball. Our 37th annual rotisserie league auction, in person no less, uh, has been postponed indefinitely for obvious reasons. Um, this is a league where all 12 owners have been in the league, NL only, of course, and a keeper league for at least 17 years. So, you know, one owner a month ago came up with the grand idea of having a parallel universe slow draft, not an auction. We all start fresh, all players available, National League only, of course. And when I say slow draft, it took us almost three weeks to finish. <laughs> you know, no one got skipped from running errands, playing golf, handling family matters, or mostly given the age range here, taking long midday naps. But, uh, <laughs> right. but it worked out, and uh, so we enjoyed it so much. And then I found a website where I could input the draft with each team's selections, run the category totals, stack them up, and then post the category results once a day for 10 days. So that's 10 more days. Um, so the race is just about over, and seven of us are stacked up within uh, 10 projected points of each other for the top. Uh, the whole process has been an across-the-board joy, really. I mean, the usual good-natured trash-talking and so forth and what kind of crazy projections they have there and why'd you pick that guy and all that. It's just a long way of saying April is always a wonderful fantasy baseball month for a dozen aging knuckleheads out here. And it was again this year for different reasons. And with that, everybody, you know, I'm projecting that by midsummer, it may be time to let out a full-throated gamble on. <laughs>